And Father, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that comes and lives within us. Lord, that you want to be such an active part of our lives. Lord God, that we don't just come because it's our religion to come, but we come because we have a relationship with you, and we come and we lift up holy hands to you, Father God, to worship you and to spend time with you and to spend time with one another, and we have the fellowship of the Spirit, Father God, one with another. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would help us, Lord God, as a congregation and as a church, Lord God, all over the world to really live in your presence and that that would exude out of us, Lord God, and that people that don't know you, Father, would see that there is really something so powerful to live for, and it's you, and that you want to be involved in every one of our lives. You want to be involved in this world, and so I pray, Lord, that we would all give you permission, Lord God, to be the center and just to be involved in our lives, and, and that we can walk this earth, Father, and just influence people for you, helping them to know their way. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a little bit of a ringing going on in my, in this thing. I don't know if it's just me that's hearing it, but it's sort of like a, it's not pleasant. Last week we talked about, we looked at the book of Jonah, just the first three verses in the book of Jonah. And we talked about Jonah's reaction to being commanded by God to go and announce God's judgment against this great city of Nineveh. And see, Jonah knew that there was a potential that these people could repent and God would turn from judging them. And because Nineveh was such an avowed enemy of Israel, Jonah didn't like them at all, and he didn't agree with God giving them this opportunity for repentance. Jonah thought that they should be just totally annihilated. No questions asked, nothing left. Last week, we asked a number of questions. This morning, if you go away with anything, I hope that you would go away with this statement here, that God is going to, uh, going to great lengths to reconcile mankind to himself. That really is the theme of the scripture of the Bible. And uh, we asked him many questions, like well, one of the questions, why would Jonah do such an illogical thing as to think that he could run from God? And we've got a very clear picture of just how wicked and depraved the Ninevites were. We saw that God is compassionate and very patient, and that he is slow to get angry, that he's filled with unfailing love, that he's eager to turn back from destroying people. And we saw how upset Jonah was because God was not vengeful enough as far as he was concerned. We saw a great confession that comes from Jonah as to who God was, and he knew this about God, and this kind of, he just didn't quite like this, but in chapter 4, verse 2, he says that, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people, and that is why I tried to run to Tarshish. Jonah just didn't agree with God that he should show this wicked people of Nineveh mercy for any reason, and it's, he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 2 there, get up, and God tells Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. And because Jonah didn't agree, he got up, and he went in the opposite direction. He bought a ticket to a place called Tarshish, which was approximately 2,500 miles from the 
city of Nineveh. And God's ultimate person, uh, purpose for commanding Jonah to go was to save a sinful people who didn't know their right hand from their left. And this week we're going to see that even though Jonah ran from God and he didn't want to be a prophet of God anymore, God had different plans for him. We are going to see that just like us who are slaves to Jesus Christ, Jonah was a slave to God, and it wasn't optional for Jonah. When God was commanding him to go to preach to the Ninevites, God was expecting him to go to preach to the Ninevites because he was a slave of God like we are, slaves of Jesus Christ as believers. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 3 in the book of Jonah, and this morning we're going to be looking at the next uh, few verses, a total of 16 verses. We're going to read through them. And I pray that uh, when we leave here this morning, we have a real clear understanding of the effort that God is making to reconcile mankind to himself. And then our responsibility in that. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, that you would open up our eyes and help us to see, Lord God, what it is that you're saying to each one of us. We thank you that you are that intimately involved in each one of our lives, that you're speaking to each one of us. And so we open up our hearts and say, Lord, speak to us. Here I am. Speak to me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4 turns our attention to the sailors and, the, uh, and captain of the stormbound ship and their situation in relation to God and Jonah. They're afraid because, the storm, because of the storm, and they cry out to their gods, and then they proceed to throw cargo overboard, which is really kind of a radical action for a, a freight hauler and freight hauling ship. The captain wakes Jonah to enlist him to pray, and the men then cast lots and discover Jonah's sin. They interrogate him, hear his witness to God, and become even more terrified, since Jonah's God is the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. They chastise him for his foolishness in trying to run away from God. Oh, why would you do that, they groaned. The pagan sailors seemed to know the rules of relationship of their gods better than Jonah. It is on account of this fleeing prophet that God is making the sea rougher and rougher. And in the end, the sailors desperately asked Jonah what they should do to calm the sea. And the sailors questioning and the urgency of the severity of the storm finally pried Jonah's confession of guilt. And under duress, he has fulfilled his calling as a true prophet of God by witnessing to God, the God of heaven, confessing his sin and instructing the sailors to act. He's also taken a vital step toward his specific and difficult calling that he offers himself as a sure sacrifice for their safety. The sailors are awestruck by the power and they offer God a sacrifice and vow to serve him. So we're going to read chapter 1 of Jonah. And it's a, it's a very interesting story. Like, you know, it's really something to, to be able to prepare like this, prepare these messages. Because you read it, at, when you read the chapter over once, it's one thing you see Stuff And it might be an interesting story, but then you read it over twice and you think, oh, there's a little more. You read it over 10 times and you think, wow, there's quite a bit more there. And you read it over 20 times and it's like, wow, there's a lot there. 
you know, and it just becomes, it's like it just becomes fuller and fuller. It doesn't get exhausted, and it's like the more time you spend at it. And just in the one chapter, it's like you see so many things that are going on here that you just don't catch the first time you're reading it. And so I kind of get when the scripture says to meditate on it day and night. It's like, okay, you're reading this story, and you're, you're thinking about this chapter, and you're thinking, wow, there's a lot to God's word. It really is living and active. It's amazing how full it gets. It's like a flower, you know, and it's just like it's, it's the, the rose that's closed up, and then in the sun, it's, it's opened right up. It's the way the Word of God is. And so it's kind of interesting to prepare these messages and just see that, the fullness of it. So the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But Jonah got up and went to the, in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurried, uh, hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm to threaten to break up the ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all the time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will have it pay attention to us and spare our lives. And then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the, God, offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come upon us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. There's something about that. I'm a Hebrew. It's got just a ring to it. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had already, he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. And, oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and, I will become, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed harder and harder to get the ship back to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, I don't, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm on him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped, storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered sacrifice, a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. It's quite a story, and uh, we see here, really, that it, it was God's grace on Jonah's life that he didn't get, let him get away with disobeying him. Notice God's response to Jonah's outright rebellion. Like, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, you, like, a lot of people feel like God is an angry God. I think our image of God is really a lot to do with the uh, image of our earthly father, or experiences in life with men, maybe. But 
God's response to Jonah, there was no anger here with God, like, but it was very obvious that God was in control. God suddenly hurled a storm that came upon them quickly, and it was so severe that even the experienced cargo crew began to panic and immediately started throwing their cargo overboard into the sea to keep the ship from breaking apart. And Jonah is on the run, but the Lord stopped him in his tracks. In his disobedience, Jonah went against God's will for his life, and it caused him to see uh, it caused him and these other sailors great pain and loss. And some of the losses that they experienced were the, run, the ruining of the ship that was breaking apart, the loss of the cargo, and this incredible stress of thinking that they were about to die. And Jonah hated the thought of the potential that God would not punish the Ninevites. And he wanted justice to be served. And when we, like last week, when he talked about how wicked the Ninevites were, you know, humanly speaking, we would all want justice in some way. Last week, we talked about how important it is for us to recognize our place in all of creation as God's children and how it is our responsibility, just like it was Jonah's responsibility, to be aware that God is wanting us to be his hands and his feet and that he's working to reconcile mankind to himself. And Jonah can be very thankful that God's reaction to his outright rebellion was full of mercy and compassion, and that he is slow to get angry, and that he's filled with unfailing love, the very confession that he made, and that God was eager to turn Jonah around when he was running in the wrong direction. Exhausted from his struggle and decision to flee, Jonah sleeps. It's an exhausting thing to run from the Lord. He has temporarily escaped the pressures of God's word, but by fleeing, he has also turned his back on God, and this obviously prevents him from speaking to him and calling out to him. When we stumble, we need to repent, which means to stop and make an about turn in our hearts and go towards God. The captain's puzzled about how Jonah could sleep through the storm. All of those on board were searching for every possible means to end their deadly predicament, including everyone calling on their own gods. Jonah's decision to run from God is now a matter of life, and not only for him, but for the sailors and for the captain. And Jonah's deep sleep in the recesses of the ship reveals his indifference in his own life and in the lives of the others on the ship. The pagan captain speaks of their frustrations. He says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Jonah's deep sleep is the bottom of a quick slide from a prophet in the presence of the Lord in Israel to deadly indifference in the hull of a sinking ship. And that's quite a statement. And we take that and you think about our own lives. You know, Jonah's deep sleep is the bottom of a quick slide from a prophet in the presence of the Lord in Israel to a deadly indifference in the hull of a sinking ship. Do you have a passion for God? Do you have compassion for people? Our little slogan on our everything. You know, like, do we care? The captain hopes that Jonah already knows, he hopes what Jonah already knows, that his God is compassionate. In the sailor's circumstances, they are not in a position to be particular. 
It's desperate. For them, one God is as good as another as long as he is a God that saves. And the captain's request for Jonah to pray to his God is an incredible opportunity for Jonah to give a witness and to demonstrate the power of the Lord. But he remains silent. We have an incredible opportunity this day and age, probably like, you know, we've probably maybe never experienced in our life as far as all around us in our community. When we see people in our community panicking, filled with fear because of the unknown, we who have the answers to life will not get a better opportunity to be a witness of what life is really all about. We know the very one who's created everything. We know we don't have anything in this world, in this whole world, we don't have anything to fear. We know the maker of heaven and earth, and we know that he is for us. And if God can be for us, then who can be against us? Like, who can be against us? Nobody. The sailors continue to take charge of the situation by casting lots to find the source of their calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. But when the sailors speak to Jonah, they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us. Jonah admits his fault. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. And when Jonah tells them who his God is, the sailors are terrified. Immediately they understand the cause of the storm and they ask the equivalent question, are you crazy? Why would you do that? And when he said that the Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the land, they know they're in trouble. Who runs away from the God of the sea in a ship? The sailors ask five rapid-fire questions, continuing the energy of their desperate work against the storm. They're praying to gods. They're jettisoning their cargo overboard. They're casting lots. And they've discovered that Jonah, by lot, is not, uh, and they need to know, they know, they discovered that it's Jonah's fault, and they need to know more quickly. And so they seek a confession and confirmation by Jonah, but Jonah doesn't give it to them just yet. He ignores this part, although... He knows that he's cornered. Next, they ask the following questions. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah can answer in a single phrase, I am a Hebrew. Today, someone wants to know about you. You can answer them in a single phrase, I am a Christian. Their reaction, like I love to people, I love to tell them I'm a Christian. Because their reaction oftentimes opens up a great opportunity for conversation. The, swag, the second question here is the most difficult question for Jonah. Is he a messenger of God? It is this question that has driven him to, the sh- to this ship. And it's the question that uh, he doesn't want to answer. When God called him to Nineveh, he didn't want to be a prophet of God anymore. But now the sailors want to know in the midst of the storm... What are your commitments and what are your allegiances? And Jonah's answer, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, who made the sea and the land. And they question him, why have you done this to us? He ran from his calling to the Ninevites, but now he is face to face with these pagan soldiers or uh, sailors. And what will he do? The sailors want to know. His witness will come only in his willingness to die. As he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
The sailors all had their own God and asked the question, what should we do? How do we appease your God? The tension is now heightened. The sea is getting rougher and rougher. Jonah does not seem to be capable of a simple repentance. He could have sought forgiveness during the storm and committed himself to go to Nineveh. And when we recognize that we are all running from God, uh, this is when we need to stop. Because like, there's times where we all seem to have times when we don't want to do what God's telling us to do. And we turn around and we run. Or we stumble. We turn around and we run. And it's those times like that that we need to stop and turn back and face God. And the scripture, you know, I probably quoted this scripture more than anything. I've got it on that little stamp thing that I have in my office that puts my name and this text in the front of my books. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy to help us in our time of need. I know from my own experience that when I have stumbled in some way, the natural feeling or emotion in me is to hide in my heart, to stay away for a while until things cool down or until I feel a little more worthy. But rather, my response needs to be immediate repentance, an immediate turning back to God, knowing that he's compassionate and he's not eager to harm me. We need to stop right there and then, come to the Lord on our knees, repentant, and then get up and carry on giving the enemy no room in our lives. That's the great thing about the grace of God. We get up immediately and we start walking, not giving the enemy any room. Jonah seems to have a compassion on, uh, on the innocent sailors and he doesn't want them to die. He accepts death for them, not in obedience to God, nonetheless in their place. A perfect picture of what Jesus has done for us. The sailors do not want to kill God's prophets, so they attempt to row back to land. They know Jonah is a serious problem, but they do not want to be held responsible for killing the prophet of such a powerful God. The storm raged primarily because of Jonah, but in the midst, the sailors have become personally involved. The sailors have a specific request as they cry out to God saying, Oh Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. They do not want to die simply because they have taken on a passenger with a pursuing God. Did you know that God is pursuing you? That's an awesome thought when you think about it. God is pursuing us. These guys have run out of options. They tried calling on their gods. They lightened, tried lighting, lightening the ship and uh, asking Jonah to pray, casting lots, interrogating Jonah, and trying to grow harder. Their fear is that they will die for doing something they really don't want to do, and that's participating in God's judgment on Jonah. It's a desperate situation for them, and they uh, say so when they're praying to the Lord, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. God is wanting to be this real and this active in our lives. So much so that when non-believers are with us, that they're experiencing God himself. He is this real in our lives. And they will experience him if he is. And it's not something we can just conjure up. You know, it's like, oh man, how do we do that? It's got to be something that's real. We have to know him. We have to have a relationship with him. 
walking with him and talking with him. If people spend time with you, would it become apparent to them that you are a godly person? Well, that's a good question. It would be a good question for us all to just sort of slip into our pocket and meditate on and think about. When the unsaved people are with spending time with us, does it become evident to them that you're a godly person? Would people know that God is with you in your life? The sailors, by contrast, act innocently and obediently, which God honors. And then they lift up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea, and the sea stood down from its rage. The Lord hurled down a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm to stop Jonah from running away from him. In the study of Jonah, we see that the storm came because Jonah's his own actions. There are times in our lives when God allows the storms to rage. And these storms of life can be very disconcerting to say the least. They can change the very direction of our lives. It's just the way that we as human beings are made. We have this innate uh, drive within us that tells us that we need to feel like we're getting somewhere in life. We're supposed to be able to look at where we've been and where we are and then where we're going. And yet the road that we take in this process has twists and turns that seem to catch us off guard at times and throw us in a completely different direction. And this can be extremely unsettling. And it's, and it's extremely unsettling, when, especially when we have our hearts set on a particular end result. God understands this about us as people, and he's always reaching out to us, wanting to help us walk through these times when they start to take place in our lives. These twists and turns, they come to all of our lives. Not one person is exempt from these twists and turns and these storms that come in life. And because we're all different, we're different in our makeup. We respond to these kinds of things differently in our emotions, in our feelings, in the way we react. You know, and it's just a great thing to think, okay, this is why we need to have grace and mercy for each other and just support each other because we all go through these things. And when we're going through them, it's, it's, it's very difficult when we're going through them to react the right way all the time. However we handle these twists and turns, God wants, us to, wants to walk with us through them. God has given us his word to guide us through this life. There are many scriptures given to us to answer the questions that we might have to teach us how to trust him when we are experiencing uncertainties. And when one of God's prophets, Habakkuk, he come upon some hard times in his life where the circumstances weren't looking so good. Nothing was going the way that he was expecting it to go and things were very difficult for him. Look at what ha what's going on in Habakkuk's life and then look at the response that he has. Even though the fig trees has no blossoms and there be no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk knew who God was. He knew God looked towards him with grace and mercy. Habakkuk had no control over his circumstances, and when they were not favorable, he never blamed God. Rather, he trusted that regardless of what was going on, he knew that God was for him, and he praised him for that. 
We might feel like we've been the reason for our tough times and circumstances that have come into our lives. God is in his word encourages us like we read to come to the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need that we might find mercy. We serve a good God. He is so good. He wants nothing but good for us. That's an amazing thing. Many times we have no control over what comes our way. Other times we're the ones that have made the right choices that have caused difficulties to come our way. Jesus wants us to know that here today that there is hope in the pain that if you're experiencing the pain. But regardless of the reasons for our difficulties, God is always reaching out to us to comfort, to convict, and to encourage us and to draw us to himself. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. This is where we find real comfort and real hope. God is holding out his hands to all of us this morning. And, you know, like, will we take that hand that is stretched out to us? He promises to take us in when we come to him. You know, we don't ever have to fear, like, you know, when we're young or or whatever, when we're going to go to somebody, we might be rejected. God will never reject us. Incredible. He wants to help us to find true, the true meaning to the life that we're living. Because he created us and he knows exactly what it is that we need. God is working to reconcile mankind to himself. And... We're a big part of this picture. Like it's, you know, it's, it talks about that we're the hands and his feet. And as he's working to reconcile mankind to himself, we have a big part to play in that. And he wants to be this involved in our lives as he was with Jonah. Like he really does. Like it's amazing how God speaks when we turn our ear towards him and, and when we're in a time of seeking. You know, we need to be patient. You know, Daniel... He started to pray. 21 days he started a fasting and praying to God. And then God says, I heard your prayer right from the start. But then there was this heavenly warfare that went on. And it took 21 days of fasting and prayer for Daniel. But then the, the, the angel got through and answered him. And it's the same thing with us. Because this is the word that, you know, with Daniel. And God says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, you know, you can see God in all of our creation and the way the seed grows. You put the seed in the ground, you cover it up. You don't see it, but eventually you do. But it's by faith believing that this seed is germinating. It's by faith believing that as we're fasting, we're praying that there is a heavenly warfare that's going on that God is taking care of and battling for us. But he will come through. He says, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, and uh, that's the secret to life is just a... Allow him to guide us through life, through prayer, through the reading and the meditating on his word day and night, allowing it to just get fuller and fuller to us. Then you'll experience life the way that God has meant us to experience life. He wants us to have that kind of a relationship with him, allowing him to be that involved. And then everybody around us is going to be affected. There's a contagious enthusiasm as you have an enthusiasm for the things of the Spirit. So I just want to encourage you to 
take that and know that God is for you. He wants to be this involved in your life, that he wants to be involved in the people around your life, and he needs you to be pressing in and seeking him so that those you're rubbing shoulders with, they're affected because he is spirit, and he's alive, he's living, and he's well. And so, Father, we thank you, Father God. We thank you that you really want to be that involved in our lives. I pray, Father God, that we would all desire to have that, to have you so intimately involved that anybody that comes around us, Lord God, they know that we are a Christian. They know that we know you and have a relationship with you. That's a life of power. And so, Lord, we just pray, have your way in our lives. Your will be done and your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.